Hello and welcome to the Total Mental Performance Podcast, the one and only mindset podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs and coaches master their mindset, giving you insider access to industry leaders around their psychology, their campfire stories, and the mindset required to be successful in this business. I'm your host, Kieran O'Neill, mental performance coach and founder of Total Mental Performance, the world's fastest growing specialist mindset service dedicated to the fitness industry. So without further ado, let's lean in and listen. Yes, yes, team. Welcome to another episode of the Total Mental Performance Podcast. Today's guest is fitness business coach, Steve McGrath, and he is from the Collection Coating. Steve's background is really interesting. Not only has he been an on-the-gym floor PT, an online coach, uh, and now fitness business coach, he's also been a science teacher as well, which is something that I haven't heard yet, which is super interesting. Um, Steve, mate, thank you so much for jumping on. Not a problem, mate. Good to be here. So uh, we've got quite a few shared clients and uh, I've heard some incredible things. And as we were speaking earlier on our pre-call, you were talking about your ability to give that tough love to coaches. Run me through your coaching philosophy. What is it that you love about coaching? What is it that you love about the way that you coach? I think for me, just obviously with the background that I had in teaching science, it was something that I've had almost professionally developed like over a certain amount of time. And I've kind of carried it through the fitness and the business stuff of being able to kind of teach people to think for themselves and to, you know, implement certain strategies and lessons and put it into their kind of own thoughts and ideas and kind of run with that. And I think that's something that, you know, when we're talking about working with coaches, especially like you're trying to coach them to think at a higher level, you're trying to coach them to, you know, get up to that you know, analysis and being able to look at themselves and reflect at what they're doing. And I think that for me is something that we try really hard to do because the surface level stuff's easy, like getting them to repeat a task that you've already done for them or get them to follow something step by step, which you have to have in place for some people because they need to start at that level of the scaffold, but then making sure that you try and get them up to those top levels and work with them on accessing that higher level thinking of stuff. I think for me, is something that, that we value quite highly. Yeah. And it is about, because coaches get stuck in the moment. They get stuck in, in what their perceived reality is, which is, I need leads right now. I need more clients right now. I need more transformations right now. And they get stuck in those emotions. I like what you're doing there, which is taking them out of that emotional bubble and getting them to think on a more strategic level. It's nice. It's, it's strange, isn't it? Because I, I sometimes feel like a lot of coaches could probably really do with just looking at themselves as a coach and taking their own advice so like you'll see the same thing that you'll hear them giving advice to clients about don't worry about this don't worry about that just focus on what you can control control the inputs the scale you know scale weight is something like income you could literally replace those words and you know give themselves some great coaching and i think sometimes it's getting them to think that way because they, they have the ability, because they're all coaches, right? So they all have the ability to think this way about an abstract thing that doesn't involve them. And then as soon as it becomes, as soon as they become the center of that thing, all their kind of coaching thought processes seem to fall away. And they almost become like the clients that they're trying to help. I think, you know, something that we try and get them to do is like, think about what you would say to a client that's saying this to you. And then they're like, oh yeah, I probably would do this getting them to apply it then is a completely different matter. But I think a lot of them would probably benefit from thinking of themselves as the one of their clients. I think uh, the metaphor I would probably use, you've used it well, you've used, you've summed it up perfectly. 
they're almost like the clients they're coaching. So I remember when I launched my first business, and obviously this isn't your first business either, but for a lot of these coaches, it is their first business and they haven't run a, a business before. And there is so many learning curves, just like doing a fitness transformation, just like learning how to count your calories, how to pick up the bar, how to just even be comfortable in a gym. It's exactly the same thing. And I think coaches forget that they've been through this process before in various different areas of life, whether that is going to the gym, whether that is going to secondary school for the first time and trying to find your way in the world and the way in which you compare yourself to the other kids. They're exactly the same. But I think back to that first, because I've run businesses since I was a kid, since I was at school, but like my first real big one was a nutrition app. And I remember the amount of pressure I had to myself to put make everything perfect. It was like the branding had to be perfect. The website has to be perfect. The client results have to be perfect. And all of that pressure that was wrapped up in that. But once you've done a couple of businesses and you've worked within businesses, you kind of learn that no such thing as perfect. As long as you do your best, as long as you're turning up and you're being authentic and, you know, eventually the results come and that comes with experience and that comes with time. That's it. But it's that pressure that coaches put on themselves and then they wrap their identity up in that first business. They wrap up their identity and and most coaches have their name in their business. So when the business is failing, they feel like they're failing. And it is, I think, helping them just calm down. It's all right. You haven't got to have this all figured out in three months. Some people will get it figured out in three months. You don't need to get it figured out if you're earlier on in that journey and you're starting out. I think a lot of them don't actually see the, the work that's gone into stuff previously behind the scenes. And I think that, you know, that for a lot of people is something that they, they have these delusions that people launch certain businesses and then they do, you know, six figures in the first three months. And they don't look at the backstory of it. Like yourself, like starting out in, in tech was clearly jumping in at the deep end. Like I, I've consulted on a couple of apps and stuff like that. And Jesus Christ, you couldn't pay me. You literally couldn't. So like that was obviously a hugely steep learning curve, which has then put you in a position to, to do this other stuff like I'd worked in person, I'd done, you know, I'd worked in commercial gyms, I'd worked in private facilities, you know, previous, you know, differing levels of success as well. Like not as if I started out set foot in a gym and was making a fortune straight away. And, you know, people look at certain clients that you work with as well. Like, oh, he's, he's done this and he's, he's here and he's, he's only this age. Like we've, we've got someone who's like doing 150, 175 grand a year, and he's 22 years old. And they're like, oh, why am I not like him? You're like, he's been working in a fitness facility since he was like 16. Yeah. Was doing really well one to one at like 18, 19 years old, was earning four or five thousand pounds because he'd been working in the in the leisure industry since he was a teenager. So he's been around the environment for years and years and years. And then people leave corporate jobs and and you know. Have been in an environment that's high powered, worked in sales, all that kind of stuff, yeah. and and then come into fitness and you plug in a couple of holes and they've already got this massive skill set that's been developed and they plug that in on top and things move really well. And you know, people don't always look at the backstory of, of what businesses are launched off like. And you know, comparison is it's really, really difficult because nobody's ever going to give you like a list of like, look, these are all the things that you can compare. They only compare the stuff that they actually see and they don't compare, you know, everything in the background that comes before that. It's like there's a hundred different metrics, maybe 250 different metrics you can compare human beings on. Like let's look at the physical attributes like hair color, skin color, eye color, power, strength, speed, endurance, 
And then you've got like the more artistic elements. How creative are they? Are they good at music? Are they good at art? Are they good at design? And then you've got, you know, can they cook? Can they clean? And then, you, and then you've got how much money do they make? But everybody only looks at the money or the transformations or the body in the fitness industry. They're the three things I see. Are they getting really well paid? Are they jacked and shredded? And uh, are they able to get other people those sorts of results? So like the 250, maybe even a thousand different factors you can compare humans on in the fitness industry, we laser in on those three. And that's not helpful because like you said, that backstory is it's massive, you know. Like I, I've coached a few clients as well that are sort of in that 20 to 23 mark making, you know, multiple six figures. And everybody forgets like, you know, exactly what you just said there. They left school at 15, 16, went straight into a gym, didn't leave. So all of a sudden that air quotes overnight success where they've been able to hit the industry fast and hard, but actually they've already been doing it for six, seven years. I was the same. I was hiring. So my background, so this is me and Steve's first ever conversation. And I love shooting podcasts like this. Um, but my background, I left school at 16, I went into the Peter Jones Academy. So Peter Jones is a dragon off of Dragon's Den, learned business from him and in run a business there. Graduated, I was the youngest in there. Everyone was 18 to 25. Maybe I'd just gone in at 17. Graduated from there, went straight into sales just as I was about to turn 18. Sold nothing, sold half a million dollars of software in the, the first 12 months. All of it coming the last three months. I nearly got fired, but didn't. After that, I'd already been boxing for five years at that point. Managed to box and get a spot in the England team. So then I started, I dropped everything to pursue that. That didn't work out. End up burnt out, eating disorder, tried to take my own life. That app I was talking about, that all failed, took on too much. Went back into the city for software sales, made a load of money, got my confidence back up, and then decided, and at that point, I was, what, 22, 23, hiring graduates, the same age or older than me. And the graduates were like, oh, there was like this cognitive dissonance because it's like, well, he's much younger, but actually, you know, in, in the last six, seven years, I was boxing for England and was building a bit like building an app or was in software sales. And then all of a sudden they, they're trying to report, they, they're comparing themselves on age, but they're not comparing themselves on experience. And I spent a few years there and I realized I loved coaching my team more around mindset and therapy. And I qualified on the side. And a lot of people ask me, how did CMP sort of grow up, blow up and become an overnight success? I hate that word, but somebody said that the other day and it really pissed me off because it's like, no, <laughs> you know, there's been years and years and years of things not working out and things being successful. But it's that what's behind that, that you get, that it all comes out of nowhere. And people are like, wow, you, you may look easy. It's like, no, I've already made the same mistakes in so many different ways so much earlier on that led to that, that platform being built. So you, you completely spot on. Do you feel like there's a lot of differences that happen now, though, as well with like, especially with the, you know, younger people coming into the industry that, you know, the age of the internet and especially social media nowadays, like being such a powerful platform that, and you know, there's a lot more information available nowadays on like how to set up the business and how to run a business. And, you know, there's, there's always going to be good with the bad. So like the more good information is, there's also, you know, more bad information. But I think a lot of people don't realize that the old way of doing things probably doesn't apply anymore. So like it used to be go to university, get a job sit in the job do your training years or whatever it was you know the same for two years and then go for a performance review and, and get bumped up five grand a year and just repeat that and, until well basically you just pop your dogs yeah. and you retire or, or you win the lottery and nowadays for like businesses like this is 
I can't imagine like being in this situation at like 20 years old. Like it would have, it probably would have broken me as a human being because I wasn't personally ready to like be able to run something like this in my early 20s. But the fact that, you know, 20, early 20s can come out and launch businesses and do this. And, you know, it happens. On, obviously, the, the scope that we've got is quite limited because we generally do talk to people who are quite successful at this kind of stuff. But the fact that people can do that and have never been to university and have just come out and smashed it on social media, for me, is it's mind-boggling sometimes. 100%. Like the social media element as well, because everything's highlight everything. I talk about comparison a lot. And it's like, you don't, before we couldn't compare, but if you'd, com you'd compare to your neighbor in the street, whereas your neighbor is now in your hand. And it's like this 19 year old protege that's just sold a company for 50 billion, $50 million. So, oh my God. So there's a lot of, a lot of pressure. I think there's always been entrepreneurs that have been out there hustling as teenagers and in their early twenties, but because there wasn't social media, you didn't, just didn't see it. They just did it quietly. Whereas now, the opportunity for us to build these businesses is much bigger because of the internet, because of social media, which is incredible, but it's also incredibly overwhelming because there's so much mm. noise and there's so much stuff coming in, you know, and it's a case of filtering out that noise, I think. Um, Steve, mate, I'm really interested in your story. Where did it all start? Where are you from? How did it all, how did it all blossom out into where you are today? It's a long story. I mean, I'm getting on a little bit now. I'm past, I'm past 30, so started a long time ago. But um, I grew up in North Manchester. Fairly routine upbringing. Um, if you're from an inner city, you'll you'll probably know it. We were kind of just a middle row family. Like we went on a holiday once a year. Um, my dad worked away for for most of when I was young. Um, he was he did like playgrounds. I'm not sure what the actual word for is. It's like tarmacking and stuff like that. My mum was an assistant in a primary school. So we were like, we never went without, but, you know, we never kind of went with either. It was just an average upbringing. I was quite lucky, to be fair, because the area that I grew up in was pretty much on the other end of it. So a lot of my friends, you know, didn't really get a lot when I was younger. A lot of the people I grew up with ended up down some pretty strange paths. Some are dead, some in prison. You know, it was, it was that kind of area. I was quite lucky to where I, I took to school quite well. To be honest, um, I was in gifted and talented. I, I got straight A's at GCSE. I sat extra GCSEs after school because I was bored. I think I've got undiagnosed ADHD. To be honest with you, because I used to just sit there. Like I did French. I didn't. There was no French lesson at school. I just taught myself French after school. I got a D, so I wasn't that good of a teacher at the time. <laughs> and then I kind of got caught up into it. To be honest with you, um, I never really decided what I wanted to do. So because I was clever clever i basically took the traditional route where they push clever kids to which was i did maths physics biology mm. chemistry at i did chemistry at university and then i got to my first year of university and i'm like i was like i'm if i carry on in this route i'm gonna be a fucking chemist which means i'm literally gonna and some of my friends were chemists but in a different line of work yeah breaking bad style it was yeah it was it was strange and i was like you know do i really want to be work in a lab for the rest of my life. So I just went with what I enjoyed. I ended up changing to do sports science, which was then too far the other way. Not to bag on sports science at all, but I found it quite trivial. Like we were doing trigonometry and second year biomechanics, you know, writing soccer tower on the board. And I'm thinking, I passed my math GCSE in year nine. What the fuck am I paying nine no. grand for? And um, so I just didn't go. 
basically I passed my I passed university but I think I had like 31% attendance and I only had that because if you got under 30 they kicked you out yeah um, so I kind of breezed it at that point so then when I got to the end of university I was like I wasn't really inspired to do anything to be honest I'd kind of I'd left one degree because I was just doing it because I could do it and then the second degree I, I didn't really feel like it was challenging I just did it because I kind of enjoyed it and I never really found that kind of middle ground of finding something that I really enjoyed, but was also enough of a challenge to keep me interested. So I ended up going into teaching, which was great for certain aspects, terrible for others. Um, so the pay's awful. The hours are awful. The other adults are usually awful. Teaching the kids was probably the only highlight of it. Right, for me, I, I went back and taught in schools where, where I, like, I taught in the school that I went to. I taught in, you know, multiple schools around kind of inner Manchester. And it was just dealing with adults that didn't understand it. So like, we had kids who's like, you know, older brothers with a guardian, but the older brother's a drug dealer and the kid's coming in with no homework. And they're like, putting him in detention and you're like, the fuck is, when's he going to do his homework? Like genuinely. And it just, it, it really beat me down to the point where I took a lot of it personally and just the emotional baggage of it was just far too much for me at that age. Like, bearing in mind, I just, I ran everything straight through. So I did like high school, college, university, teaching straight away, which meant I was teaching 16 year olds and I was like 21, 22 in my training year. And I just weren't, I weren't emotionally developed enough for a role that important, if that makes sense. Like I felt like I was putting it on. Like everyone, all the other teachers were like adults, like, you know, like real adults. I don't know what the point is when you become a real adult because I'm 30 now and I'm still struggling a little bit. But like, you know, I had friends who were in gangs, drug dealers also, which is, you know, it's where I grew up. It's just kind of the norm. But then I'm going into a school with my suit and tie on and sitting in parents' evenings and I was just like, it was it was causing chaos, to be honest, inside me because I was like, I felt like every day I was just putting a fucking mask on and it's, it's exhausting and similar... To yourself, I just burnt out completely. I just couldn't do it anymore. I literally, I just, I turned up one day and I was like, listen, I'm, I'm fucking done. Like, I can't do it. And they were like, well, everything's going really well. And I'm like, it, it is, but I can't express to you like how much stress and like anxiety and stuff like that is causing in the rest of my life. And it's probably the first time I've ever really said this and admitted to myself that it, it was my own personality that just wasn't in the right place for it. Yeah, the pay was shit and the hours were long. But realistically, at that age, the pay weren't that bad. Like, it's shit now because I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. Through your lens that you have now, right? Yeah, but I'm getting 1,800 quid a month, which, to be fair, after leaving university, was fucking fine. Like, yeah. you could live with it. Yeah. Looking back now, I'm like, I'm glad I didn't stay in it. But I always say, oh, yeah, the shit, the hours were shit. But, like, it was just, it was putting that mask on every day and going in and doing that at that young age. Like, sometimes I was teaching A-level. So the kids were 18 and I was 21. Yeah. That's, what, what would you say your biggest learnings out of that? Because if you think about it, the pressure on you as a, as a man and as a teacher at that age, because 16 to 18 are really, really intense years. I think about mm. when I was 16 and 18, I went straight out into the, sort of into the world. I was very aggressive, not aggressive insofar as, well, sometimes it could be quite aggressive towards others, but it was yeah. more just I fucking want this now. I'm impatient. I'm, I'm working hard. Like, give me what I want. Give me what I need. Like those that those sorts of ages, particularly young men, be quite challenging, quite aggressive, quite a lot of pressure. 
I can imagine the emotional loads that you're having to take on day in, day out. And then when you know these kids, you know their stories, you know their background, that feeling of helplessness, I'd imagine for those ones where you've got a bright kid that's just got a tough background, you know, that's, that's a lot of emotion that you'd be taking on. Yeah, it, is, it, it was tough. And I think, again, like we spoke about before with like coaches giving their own advice, I think sometimes like me sitting and giving them advice about their situation, it was kind of reflecting back on me and I'm having conversations and thinking, I should be fucking saying this to myself as well. And yeah. like, yeah, teaching's a great career, don't get me wrong, but like, like yourself, I, w- I was young, like, I've I've always, I've always, I've had lots of expected of me since I was a kid. Like, you know, my parents never went to university. My mum went back and got a college degree, like older. So like, I was the first person to go to university. My dad was fairly old. Like, I, how old was my dad when I was? I, I was an IVF child. So my mum was 30, 33, my dad was 43. And he's a bit of a morbid bastard. So like, he'd constantly remind me as a child, like, I might not be here when you're older, you need to be yeah. ready, basically. Um, and then when I was teaching, you got, you got bowel cancer, and I had to retire on the spot. And that, because I'd been kind of told this was going to happen my whole life, it was like, right, it's on you now. Like, yeah, you know, you can't work a manual job with after you stomach removed, he had a colostomy bag. So like, that was it. And we were, again, we were okay, but like, we didn't have savings or a pen for yeah, the estate, yeah. but like nothing that was going to keep the lights on in the house for any period of time. So like at that point, it was like, it's on you now like you need you need to step up and again being young and having that pressure on you 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 get you're hungry but for me it also made me really angry like really angry it was like from 21 to 25 was i think just rage for most of it like I think partially because of the pressure that I felt like I put on myself. And to be honest, if I'd have turned around and I said like, listen, I, I, I can't do that. Like you can't put that pressure on me. No one would have forced it on me, but I think I forced that pressure on myself. And I think that's why, you know, even when I went into PT and, and stuff like that, like because I wasn't personally in the right position for it because I put that much pressure on myself and there was that kind of anger of like, I have to do this and it's not even just for me like this has to work i think i almost suffocated a lot of the stuff i was trying to do at that point and it was only kind of after i matured a little bit to where i was like you know when i was younger i was like why why is it me that has to do this like all my friends are going on holidays they're going to fucking bali and australia i can't afford that like i've got to do this because of this and, and you know i was i was really angry about it for a period of time my relationship with my parents through my early 20s was fucking diabolical and um, mostly on my back to be honest um and then as i matured a little bit like 25 26 started to kind of sort myself out a little bit and and then things started moving a lot better from there and realistically i didn't do anything different to what i was doing before but i think because i was personally in a much better area and i matured quite a lot that it allowed me to be a little bit clearer with things and maybe not force things and and not feel so angry and almost like almost bitter in a sense. Yeah. I don't know. That there's, was a lot of, there's, a lot of, yeah. Well, there's a lot of pressure on there. Like, yeah, it's self imposed. I think at the time, I think, you know, if I had to turn around to my family and said, like, listen, Dad, I'm really sorry, but like, I can only do this much. Like, this is all I can do. Whereas instead, like, I, you know, I just I tried to solve everyone's problem myself. Again, I, I think that's almost a male thing and, and maybe an ego thing of the fact that 
I thought, well, I'm the only one that's going to solve this, so it's on me. Whereas in reality, you know, probably not that important, to be honest with you. There's probably lots of other people who could have solved it. There's a skill, raising your hand. Yeah, I think... A lot of coaches to just raise their hand, and particularly men, have got this stubbornness, which is like, I'm going to sort it, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. But actually, when you realise, actually, you've got a boredom of people around you that have been there, they've done it, they've experienced it. If you raise your hand, they'll, they'll tell you the, the mistakes that they've already made. So you don't have to make those same mistakes. I think that's, I think we kind of have to learn that through experience and we make things harder for ourselves because you keep banging your head against the wall. But eventually you learn to raise your hand and, and that completely changes, changes the game for, for everything, you know? And I think what you shared there is really important. Some coaches will be comparing themselves to others to completely discrediting their situation. I know coaches out there that have got some personal family issues going on. So they're having to provide for a family member. They're having to care for a partner they're having to do that yet they're comparing themselves to people that aren't necessarily in that space they're comparing them to people that have a longer experience or much more free time and bandwidth you know and it's same for parents coaches that are parents the idea of me scaling the business i'm scaling right now with a partner scares me so i'm a single guy so i can just double down on yeah. what i'm building but on top of that doing that with a partner and one or two kids Jesus Christ, like there, there's so much bandwidth and energy being taken up. So anyone who's listened to this, it's really important that you just give your circumstances the credit that they need. And it sounds like at that time, it might have been a bit harder for you to do that, where you're looking around at everyone else, but they're not necessarily having to bring in and provide for the family, you know, which is very, very honorable. Run us through the, um, the next part of, so from there, how did you go through the business element of the fitness industry? And how did you get to where you are today? Oh, so I'd, I was doing a lot of in-person PT, um, which was fine. And it was obviously, it was, it was dealing with the situation that I was in. So like, you know, doing three, four grand PTs, more money than I fucking knew what I needed. Mm. I could quite easily give half to my parents and put half, you know, and I could still live quite comfortably. Um, looking back now, it's probably a bit of a, a safe situation, but again, it was, Still personally wasn't there, I think, as, as somebody who could have grown a business anyway. I think, like we were speaking before we started the podcast about people have like a ceiling where their kind of personal issues will allow them to get to and, and they kind of can't get through it until they address that. I think for me, like that, again, that three or four grand was like my ceiling. When I started earning three or four grand, I was like, cool, I've, I've made it almost like sound, you know, I didn't know what to do with two grand a month, even after like, you know, helping out at home. So like for me, I was like, you know, I wasn't probably paying the greatest attention to my career that I wanted to. I was in the wrong crowd. I was going out a lot, drinking a lot. Again, I think that was more to do with my personal situation and just escapism than anything else. Um, and we're talking like going out as in like going out on a Friday, coming back on Sunday morning kind of stuff. Um, sometimes Sunday afternoon. So like wasn't wasn't a smart period of my life at all. And then like everyone says that this was like something horrible to happen, but like looking back at it, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I was doing a charity strongman event at the gym I was working at, and I snapped both of my legs. So both both of my knees are completely reconstructed from plastic now. So I did six months in a wheelchair. By the way, for the people that listen to this, you know when you're told to get business insurance and income protection insurance and from somebody older than you who thinks it's a good idea and you go, ha, ha, yeah, I probably should do that. And then you don't get it, get it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a great advice. piece of advice. That is a very didn't have People have told me, self-employed, you should probably get some sort of income insurance. I don't know anyone who can sell you income insurance. It's not a pitch. Well, I would highly recommend it because I did six months in a hospital bed, either in a hospital or a hospital-appointed bed in my mum's back room. And it's, it's very difficult to run an in-person personal training business when you can't walk. And then even when I could walk, I was on crutches. I had to relearn. I was in knee to, sorry, like hip to ankle braces. I walked like Robocop. Nobody really wanted to be trained by me because I was getting about in a fucking double leg brace and crutches. So that to me was like a wake up call that was like, re, like they sat me down basically when it happened. And there was like, my knees were bad anyway from playing football for so many years before. And then I'd already retired because of them. And like the doctor said, like, the damage is that bad and there's that little tissue that we can actually graft from. We don't know whether we're going to be able to fix this or not. And I was like, what do you what do you mean by we don't know whether we're going to be able to fix this or not? Like, will I not play sport again? Will I not go to the gym again? And, and the doctor was like, you'll be lucky if you can walk unaided. As in like, they didn't say you're not going to be able to walk again, but there was a discussion of like, would I need a prosthetic, especially on the left one, because it was that little tissue. Would I need a prosthetic or was it potentially like a, a Zimmer frame or cane job for the rest of my mm. life? Which, you know, at 25, 26, the possibility is yeah. that frame rough. And I was single at the time as well, which didn't help because I'm thinking mm. I can't be, can't be getting about on my Zimmer frame. Um, I'm sure you can, but never had to do with that eventually. So the, the, my knees are now replaced with a synthetic thing called a Lars ligament, which isn't supposed to be used as a tendon. But they were like, we don't really have any other option. Right? We don't know if it's going to hold up or work, but we're going to try it anyway. And so they did, they did the graft. Um, so the bottom of my kneecap, my patella tendon, um, and all the kind of entry points are all drilled in. So it's completely synthetic. And it took, it probably took about two years before I could walk properly again. But what it did do is it gave me a lot of headspace because I couldn't do anything. Like I, I couldn't leave the house basically for months. And it, it just gave me a lot of reflection time of like where I was in my life and what I wanted and what I was doing. And, you know, throughout my early 20s, I was involved in a lot of things that I can't really talk about because I could still be charged for it more than likely. But I mean, and I was, I was still involved in that kind of stuff up until the accident. And it was only really when I had you know, six months of not being able to interact with certain people and do certain things and be in certain environments that I was like, I'm, I'm going to end up fucking dead here <laughs> or, in, or in jail or just I'm going to have a fucking meltdown and basically just end up in a nine to five for the rest of my life that I didn't want to do. So I had some like better pills to swallow, really. One of them was that I had to go back to teaching because it was the only thing I was qualified for and it was the only job I could potentially do at the time. And then I was like, right, I've got to do, I've got to rebuild my business again, but I've got to rebuild it correctly. I've got to do it the right way. I've got to take it really fucking seriously and make sure that, you know, I build something that potentially protects me from this stuff ever happening again. Because again, that was a stressful time for my family because I wasn't earning like they weren't. I think the total household income was £1,100 a month for that year, which was, you know, for a family. Yeah. Stretch. Not pressure. So, you know, I, I made sure that I did things right. And then when I was back on my feet properly, it was a hairy bit afterwards. Again, like the anger of why me, you know, why has this happened to me? Why me in the situation again was, was a tough one. And also I blamed a lot of people for my own 
failures beforehand. I was like, oh, this person hasn't done this for me while I've been in hospital, and this person hasn't done this. Whereas realistically, like everyone's everyone's got their own stuff to do, right? Like no one's really there to look after you. So I had a, I had a bit of a hazy period after that, and then once we'd kind of cleared that bit and I'd kind of come to terms with what had happened, then it was just right. I need to start making the correct steps now. And at that point, was that where you went right? Online coaching, where it's, it's where it's going, and that's where that started. Yeah, I mean, I had fucking little to no clue about online coaching. Like, as in, like, I didn't even know what an application form was. Like, I, I'd done some business stuff in school, so like, when you're part of gifted mentality, they like take to universities and stuff, but you never do anything useful. So, like, I launched four drinks brands in year eleven at school because because we'd done our maths GCSE early. Basically, you just get all the other shit. And like we do, we done stupid stuff like that. But like, I, I didn't know how to do a sales call. I didn't even know what real marketing was. Like, I didn't know how to to do anything online. I luckily I'd built up a a decent Instagram account just from sharing stuff and and giving advice, which was useful and worked really well at the time. Like it used to be like fucking shooting fish in a barrel, getting people on Instagram. So like that worked really well. But I had no idea. I, I remember. Um, I remember a couple of the lads in the gym that I was working at were like working with Callum Raystrick at the time. I think that's how you say his surname. You know what I'm talking about, right? No, not another chance. I used to change his business name recently. I think it's that Callum Pro coach. Anyway, at the time, he was like, he's, he's working with 100 clients and charges £175 a month. And I'm thinking, fuck me, someone's making 17 grand doing personal training. That's and, and that was all I could think. I had no concept of like how that actually got there. I was just like, holy shit, like how the fuck does that even happen? So then the, the online was picking up slowly. I think I ran some challenges and stuff like that. And because I've got an extensive background in PT and I, I got pretty good results when I started, you know, they, they did all right. But I think I was charging like 50 quid a person and doing like 20 people on these challenges. So like for me, I was still like, I remember like launching my first one and made like a grand and I was like, I just made a grand in a day. Like, that's it now. Fucking Bill Gates, see you later. Um, and then quickly realized that it was a little bit more difficult than that. So then, you, you know Adam, right? Uh, um, yeah, yeah, he's one of my friends and clients. Adam had done, a couple of the guys at the gym had had Adam and Akash in to do like, not business stuff, but like how to do transformations. So, you know, like, here's what we did with this client and stuff like that. Yeah. We um, so I'd followed him since then. And he was pretty much the only person that I knew of or was aware of doing, like, business coaching at the time. And I was like, fuck it. There's got to be <laughs> there's got to be something, like, in this that I'm missing. Because if someone else can make 17 grand, like, fuck me, if I could make six, I'd be laughing. Yeah. Like, I don't even need to be here. Like, if I could just get some of the help. Um, and I remember, like go into it and bearing in mind I was still trying to build up my finances and like it was uh, and I'm not gonna share how much it was because it completely is not relevant in context anymore. But I remember thinking fuck I can't afford that. Like not as in like I, I didn't see the value in it. I was like there is there's the mass don't work. I was like there's no monetary way that I can make that happen. Especially with my outgoings. And for some I don't know why, I think because I don't know. The bank at that time were very, very kind to me. I think because I was a teacher, I'd, I'd got a decent credit rating, which is now fucking ruined because of the time I was in Um I managed to to weasel like five grand out of them on a on a like a like a five year loan or something like that. Bearing in mind, I was already ten grand deep 
because of having to take out to pay my expenses while I was in hospital. So it brought me like 15 grand down and I, I paid for the course. And it was at the time it was like a 10 week course. So it's just literally like you turn up once a week and you do the tasks and you come back. I remember thinking like, fuck me, I've got to make some money off of this or else I'm, I'm even worse. Like I'm furthering the red as before. Um, so we got sent like this list of pre-stuff that you could do. And it was literally just like a fucking plain as day word document. And to anyone writing it, you must have thought that's just fucking common sense. But I did it all. And then I remember like, I made like five grand before the course even started, like just off this one sheet. And then by the time I'd launched my program, which again, I think was still before that it did like, it was like a webinar once a week kind of deal. Even before the first web and like, I'd, I'd made like, we did an eight grand month in my first month. And I was like, holy shit like you can actually like this mm. this is actually doable and then since then it's just like i finished that at the time that was like a 10 week and done kind of thing so you just did the 10 weeks and, and you were out um i worked with another coach called Sucksidu, who who i had a really good deal with that because he only lived around the corner so i used to i was i'm one of them where like i'm a very one-to-one -one person which is why we do one-to-one -one mentoring it's not because I think everything else is shit. It's just because that's the way that I would always want to do stuff. And I was like, can I just come to the office and, and do it with you? instead of a phone call? Can I just come and sit there? And I did. And I learned loads just of how to actually run a business because at the time, I think because I'd done so well, I kind of disregarded some of the course that I was doing. Some of it was really useful and I, I still use today, which like anything, any kind of course you pay for, you're always going to pick bits out that you use forever. But I think because everything just took off, I was like, fuck it like this stuff isn't relevant anymore like I'm, it was designed for like zero to 3k and i did eight in my first month so i was like where the fuck do i go now mm. and so could run other businesses before that like you know clothing and stuff. so he had like a much kind of broader understanding of like hiring staff and running a team and stuff like that and that's kind of really what my next step was because i i remember hiring my first staff member like month three of the business because i'd already you know i was already doing like eight nine k and I was like, fuck, like, I don't have really that much more time. So we scaled that way. And then, then it just kind of took off, to be honest with you. Got, I wouldn't say lucky, but I, I made some very clever choices with the business at certain times that, that allowed us to kind of stay ahead of everyone else. And I think because online coaching was such in its infancy, like we almost got a fair few advantage with it. Whereas like, I think now it's a lot more competitive. Not that it's saturated at all, but like, we blew up that quick with probably less systems and structure in place than you probably would need now, just because like there was so, you know, there was very little people at the top. So like, I remember like, you know, doing a 40 or 50 grand month and thinking like, what the fucking hell is this? <laughs> like, I, sometimes I still think that to be honest with you, but then it got to a point where to get there, I'd made decisions that were going to limit our top end growth. So like, we launched a group program, which was brilliant at the time because COVID had just hit and people weren't going to pay like 250, 300 quid for personal training in COVID. So the group program was amazing because it added another revenue stream that was more accessible. However, we developed that to a point where when COVID stopped, people were like, well, your group program's really good. Like, why the fuck would I work with you one-to-one? -one? And we were like, and then you've got to do the job of them. You've either got to go back and make one shitter, which obviously is a fucking terrible idea from business, or we had to kill it. So we just had to kill it because... We'd grown it to a point where like 
it wasn't going to run the business that I wanted to run. Like if we wanted to scale from that point, it was going to be ads, split tests, thousands of ad spend. And at the time I just didn't have the stomach for it. I think to be fair, probably I just didn't have the bollocks for it either, for spending that much money to, to move the business forward. But we didn't have the margin and it kind of came to a head to the point where we had to kill the group program. Then the one to one was really profitable and we carried on running that for a while. But it just wasn't worth it for me. Like I'd already started doing the business coaching, which just started as people literally just coming to me and saying, can I have half an hour with you and I'll pay you for your time and just help me with the business stuff. And it ended up being more of a regular thing. And I enjoyed it a lot because the fitness stuff, like I don't think I've seen under 15 on a scale since I was 15 years old. Like I started going to the gym at 15. Like I've, I've always been pretty big. Like I was a bit chubby when I was younger, but like that's so far removed that it doesn't even bother me. So like that stuff, like I, I enjoyed it because I was good at it, but it wasn't something that I was overly passionate about because it wasn't something that had really changed my life. It had probably set my life up the way it was, but I'd never had the before period. So it was very difficult for me to be like super, super passionate about it because it hadn't really changed. It had shaped my life, but it hadn't changed it because I'd already done it from such a young age. Whereas the business stuff, I, f I found a lot more passionate because like I was like, I was, in, I was fucking working as a school teacher and worrying whether my fucking mum and dad were going to have a roof over their heads. And like the other month, I just paid for the whole windows in the house to get redone which is really expensive, by the way, and I don't own my own home, so I've never had the pleasure of having to replace my windows before. But fuck me, if you need a career, refitting windows looks like a really good way in because it was fucking expensive. But, like, that changed for me. Like, that's the stuff that matters to me, like, that stuff. And to be able to give someone else that, for me, was, like, the best thing ever. Passing so on that it, freedom. Uh, yeah. I think freedom in a sense, but, like, depends, depends on what you class freedom as, doesn't it? Like freedom for some people is being able to go all over the world and do whatever you want. That's, I don't want that freedom and that's not freedom to me because like I'm here for my family. I've got a dog, I've got a partner. Like I don't need that. That's not the kind of freedom I want. It's, freedom is a freaking very open word, isn't it? But like, yeah, I guess, I guess it is freedom in my own way of being able to kind of do what I want, you know, with my life within certain limitations. But I mean, yeah, you can change someone's life by helping them lose weight, but if you teach them how to make money for the rest of their lives, it's, it's fucking, it's pretty good. That is pretty good. That is pretty good. I love that. So that's a me. long story, by the way. I felt like I started talking a very long time ago and I've only just stopped. Well, talk to me. What, um, don't think about us as a team, total mental performance for a company, but what does the phrase total mental performance mean to you? If you had total performance, mental performance, how would you know? See, that's a bit of a funny one because when you say the word like total mental performance, like my mind automatically goes to like productivity and things like that. But mm. I think I think it's so much more than that. And I think sometimes the word performance can get you thinking about productivity and, you know, being able to work harder for longer and concentrate better. But that's, it's, it's, I, I really like it now because I'm thinking about it as I'm mm. talking about it. But realistically, like that's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Because you can't have that stuff if you've got chaos behind it. And I think that that it really speaks to me because like, again, I've, I've never been short of, with, I don't want to come across like I'm saying I'm really clever, but like statistically from all the tests I've done as a kid, like I'm, I'm pretty intelligent, but I could do none of that stuff when I was young, when I was in my, you know, early twenties 
because the rest of my life was fucking carnage. And like, I couldn't focus whatever brain power I had, no matter how much of it, on any task for any certain amount of time because of the amount of shit that I had going on. So I think there's almost like a pyramid of it, isn't there? Whereas like when you hear perform- mental performance, you think at the top of it, but realistically, it's probably sorting out a lot of the stuff underneath it first. Love that. Absolutely love that. Steve, mate, it's been an honor to have you on. And uh, where can people find you? They want to follow up. <laughs> the website's not finished yet, so I won't, I won't quote that. It, when it is finished, it will be collectivecoaching.co. Uh, we can get an idea about everything that we do. In the meantime, my Instagram is at Steve underscore McGrath, which is M-C-G-I-T-H. It's probably the best place. Awesome. Well, guys, make sure you drop some love on the post. Make sure you drop some love on the podcast. Leave us a rating on Apple, on Spotify. I think you can also find us on Anchor. Steve, mate, it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. And thank you for coming on. So that's us for today, team. I want to say a huge thank you for spending this portion of your life listening to us. A couple of things before you disappear. If you're not already following us on Instagram, you can find all of our daily content on mindset and hitting peak performance at Total Mental Performance or our website, www.totalmentalperformance.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe or you'll find us on Spotify, uh, the Apple Podcasts and all the other various different platforms. Big love. Thank you ever so much. And we're looking forward to speaking with you soon.